Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, you are listening to the most electrifying podcast in all of internet radio today. You are listening to the Sports Wire. Today is Monday, November 11th, 2019. It is now approximately 3 a.m. in the morning. Well, yeah, of course it's 3 a.m. in the morning. Uh, but I gotta say, today's episode is something that I wasn't expecting to do. I was watching the highlights from AEW's Full Gear. And I have to say, it was interesting. That's probably the, probably, probably the word I'd use to describe it. Interesting. I'm not going to say that it's the best ever. Like, I didn't buy the full pay-per-view. I just watched the highlights on YouTube. Okay, so that's what I'm going off of. And, of course, you know, they don't get the full... Obviously, they don't put the full show up there. But here's a... Here's a couple of my notes that I that I looked at. Number one, I liked the triple threat tag team match with SCU, the Lucha Brothers, and Private Party. And I have to say, the athletics in that in that match is awesome. You know, obviously SCU are veterans; they've been around for a while. Christopher Daniels has been Christopher Daniels and Kazarian uh, have been around for you know, almost 20 years and, or over 20 years actually. And, uh, Scorpio Scott, I'm not sure how long he's been around, but he's definitely a seasoned veteran and he's finally getting a big break. Um, this is the first that he's introduced to mainstream, to a mainstream audience. Uh, but I, I definitely enjoyed it. And I liked, uh, Christopher, Christopher Daniels coming out to, uh, dressed as a Lucha, uh, a luchador to uh, gain revenge on the Lucha Brothers. That was a that was a good uh, good way it was way it was done, and I uh, fully believe that uh, that match, in my opinion, from what it looked like, looked like the best match on the card. Okay, then you know you had uh, Pac or Pac and Hangman Page. Match was good. Um, you know, they're both great talent. I could see Hangman Page as a future champion, uh, even Pac, uh, a, a future champion as well. So it all depends on, you know, where they go with it and who's going to be next, uh, to get a, a match with Chris Jericho. Uh, also you had, uh, Riho and Emi Sakura. Um, Riho, in my opinion, is not believable as a champion. And I know I've said it before. The Japanese females uh, who are wrestlers are great athletes. I'm not, I'm not saying she's not a tre- tremendous athlete. But what I want to see is, I want to see a, a domination. Like, they have Awesome Kong and Nyla Rose on the roster. Why are they not in the title picture? Why has Nyla Rose not been used on Dynamite and, you know... And put out to the mainstream audience. I mean, she's on AEW Dark. I don't watch it. It's on YouTube. It's their version of, you know, main event or superstars. And it's just, you know, and they do a lot of stuff on there that they can't put on mainstream TV because it's it wouldn't be accepted by the mainstream fan. Uh, but amazingly, you know, she hasn't, Nyla Rose has not been featured at all. And she's probably the uh, talent, the, the women's talent that needs to be there. 
Uh, Britt Baker's another one. She was on the pre-show and her match with Bea Priestley. And, you know, she ended up winning the match despite suffering from the flu. And, uh, you know, but I mean, their women's division is severely lacking. You know, there was no reason to have Nyla Rose lose to Riho for the, for the title. Absolutely none. And, she, and Nyla Rose hasn't been seen on TV since. You know, in terms of on Dynamite. So, she needs to be built back up. And they need to... Like, Riho, in my opinion, would be a an enhancement talent. 98 pounds? Really? You know, it's like, you, you can't be believable. You know, it's kind of that Marco Stunt factor. It's like, she should be in a tag team with, with, with a woman that's much bigger, stronger than her. You know, like a Nyla Rose. Or like a an awesome Kong where you could build that dynamic. You know, the only reason, the only way that Marco stunt works is if he's in a tag team with somebody who's bigger than him, like Luchasaurus. Um, the one, you know, the fact that he was with jungle boy in that one match, it didn't really work because even though jungle boy is bigger, he's still not, you know, really bigger. You know what I mean? Um, you know, and I don't even think uh, Jurassic Express was even on the card for full, for full gear. Uh, so, Riho kept the title, um, you know, and again, it's something where I just, it's just not believable in my opinion. All right, so then we move on to, uh, you know, then we move on and you had... Let's see, what else was on that card? I'm trying to think, you know, you had the triple threat match. Oh, yeah, you had you had the Young Bucks taking on uh, Santana and Ortiz from the Inner Circle. And, you know, I'm not a huge Young Bucks fan. And the reason why, like, in my opinion, they're too too much, you know... You know when you're playing, you know, WWE 2K, any of the games, <laughs> and and you get stuck trying to beat someone, so you're just constantly doing either your finishing move or your signature move because you have them all saved up or the, that one move where you know it's going to put them down eventually. That's what the Young Bucks matches remind me of. They did about, I want to say about 15 super kicks. You know, there was one, <laughs> I don't know which, whether it was Santana Ortiz, there was one that... Uh, took a super kick from one of the Bucks, and he kind of got knocked into flipping around like a dolphin. Uh, it was actually quite funny. But that's what a Young Bucks match reminds me of. Because they're super kicking left and right. You know, they're doing double super kicks. They're doing this. And honestly, in my opinion, super kick is one of the most overused moves ever since Shawn Michaels used it as sweet chin music, you know, and then uh, James Storm took it as a, as a finisher as well, or a signature as well. Everybody and their uncle has been using the super kick. And it's just sad. It has, been, it has become overused. You know, it's just amazing to me how, how moves, you know, finishing moves from the past have become just regular moves in today's wrestling. Jake Roberts, DDT. You use it and the guy is beat. There was nobody ever that kicked out of the DDT. Now, everybody uses a version of the DDT. You know, even 
like Dean Ambrose or excuse me, John Moxley, who does the uh, double arm DDT. I don't know what he calls it, but it used to be called the Dirty Deeds. You know, it's like it's a DDT version. You know, and you know Drew McIntyre used it for a while as well, the double arm DDT. And again, how could it be believable as a finisher if a people are are kicking out of it all the time and b other people are using it like gone are the days where somebody had like even uh, into the 90s you know everybody had their signature move everybody had their finisher you know scott hall or razor ramon used to do the the uh fall away slam and then the razor's edge and he used to do the backdrop the the back back suplex from the second rope those were his signatures and then razor's edge's finisher nobody kicked out of it you know now it's just people have signature moves. You know, that buckshot lariat from Adam Page is a great signature move. You know, is it, you know, and it's believable as a finisher as well. But nobody ever utilizes a finisher because nobody ever loses to just one finisher anymore. When Brock Lesnar introduced the F5, okay, nobody could kick out of it. Because that's how they built them. People are not built like that anymore. You know, uh, and I'll get into that more after the break. But, so the, you know, the Young Bucks match, it looks like a video game match, which I guess is what they go for. But, okay, so, and, and then the Young Bucks ended up losing to Santana and Ortiz, but then the Rock and Roll Express got involved afterwards and, Ricky Morton being, gosh, he has to be in his 60s, if not 70s. And he did a Canadian Destroyer, you know, flipping over the ropes. It's, holy crap, man. Um, he still got it, uh, which is amazing. And just just absolutely amazing. Uh, let's see, Sammy Guevara did not fight on the card. Okay, and then we get to, uh, in what... I believe it would be the main event, Chris Jericho and Cody for the AEW world title. Uh, Cody had MJF in his corner, and and uh, Jericho had uh, Jake Hager in his corner. Now, there's a lot of controversy surrounding this match and the ending. And the, the first fact is, why, why did they each have a corner man? That wasn't in the stipulations. It wasn't, you know, said ahead of time that's what was going to happen. But I guess... You know, Jake Hager is the muscle of the inner circle. He's a bodyguard. So, yeah, he would be coming down with Chris Jericho. Now, with that said, it's also, you know, pretty pretty cool to see that because Jake Hager is an MMA fighter. He might not be able to really mix it up until after certain fights. You know, he could probably do some backstage stuff, but not actual matches where he can get injured. So... The match itself, I have to say, was probably the best on the, you know, the second best on the card. Um, because Jericho and Cody work, they know the psychology of the ring. Not many people in AEW know how to work with the psychology. And that's something that's been their problem since the beginning. Okay, Jericho and Cody know how to do that. And um, so the match goes back and forth. Eventually... The uh, eventually Jericho gets Cody in the walls of Jericho, uh, or the Lion Team, or however, he's, whatever he's calling it now, and MJF throws in the towel 
for, for Cody. And remember the stipulation being that if Cody loses, he can never challenge for the AEW world title. Which, you know, again, they might have been jumping the shark and getting themselves back into a corner with that stipulation, in, in my opinion. Uh, and then, you know, the other thing was, like, if it went 60 minutes, there were three judges. The three judges were Arn Anderson, which I knew it was going to be, okay? Dean Malenko, which I don't think I said it was going to be him, um, but possibly. And then the great Muda, which I thought it would have been Bret Hart, but whatever. Uh, so, either way, great, uh, good pop for those three. And then, so, the, you know, MJF threw in the towel for Cody. Cody loses. Cody's pissed because, he, you know, he never submitted. So, the towel was thrown in. And, and he's kind of upset about MJF. And, you know, they're having a couple of words back and forth. Then eventually, you know, they shake hands. And... Um, then MJF give, kicks Cody in the nether regions. He gives him a nut shot. And the place went wild. I think that was the biggest ovation of the night. Uh, you know, the biggest pop of the night in terms of, you know, booze. You know, because MJF saying Cody's his best friend. But all the while, MJF is still a heel. So it's not like he turned heel on Cody. He was a heel. But just how they blurred the lines of heel and babyface. And, you know, there are no heels and babyfaces. Just everybody. And I think this is the, one, of the, uh, one of the reasons why they said that. So they can get away with having, you know, Cody, who's the biggest babyface in the company. Not in the world, like some people would say. Uh, that distinction probably goes to The Fiend at this point. Um, or Roman Reigns. But, so, you know, so Cody, the most over babyface in the company, it, his best friend is one of the most over heels in the company, MJF, who is probably the best heel in the business right now, at least in my, either, either him or King Corbin. Um, but, so, here's the thing. I'll, I'm, after the break, I'm going to go over a couple things. One is, you know, the, the lack of finishing moves, lack of psychology, and the other thing is the finish of the, this match. Oh, if, before I go to the break, I should probably uh, tell you uh, Moxley defeated uh, Kenny Omega in a lights out match, uh, unsanctioned, you know, quote unquote death match, hardcore match. And you know what? It was garbage, in my opinion. I'm not taking away anything from the athleticism of the guys, but that match, in my opinion, number one, it went 40 minutes. 40 minutes of a hardcore match. You know, they went everywhere throughout the building, you know, and throughout the arena. They went through a light fixture. Uh, Moxley took off the padding, and, and they were fighting right on the wood of the ring. You know, and... I'm going to just say this. That kind of match has no place in America in terms of mainstream America, which is why they had it on a pay-per-view. But maybe that match, that kind of match should happen once a year. 
And, and apparently that's the kind of match that Dean Ambrose wanted to have with Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania. Could you imagine Brock Lesnar having that type of a match? They had mousetraps. They had barbed wire. They, oh, my goodness gracious. I thought it was a car wreck, you know. I, I give them A for effort and, and A for creativity, but it went too long in terms of my opinion for a hardcore match. But I'm going to take a quick break and I'll get and I'll uh, go over a couple of things right after the break. All right, I am back. I am Vinny episode from the Sportswire. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for downloading the episodes. I really appreciate it. Uh, feel free to support the pod, to support the podcast, support the Sportswire. Uh, the link is in our Anchor.fm uh, page, as well as the link to my No Shave November page. Uh, feel free to donate to that as well. Um, you know, it is to go to cancer research. Anywho, so a couple things. Number one, the 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 lack of finishing slash you know yeah finishing moves the lack of finishing moves nowadays do you remember when Chris Masters had the Master Lock Challenge all it was was a full Nelson but the way they built it nobody heated out of it and all of a sudden Bobby Lashley broke out of it and you know the place went wild because they finally broke out of the Master Lock. But that was built up for months and months, and nobody can get out of it. Um, back in 2015, when, when WWE was airing the Stone Cold podcast, and, and Steve Austin had Paul Heyman on the podcast, and they talked about the lack of selling and the lack of finishing moves and stuff. And of course, it's, you know, wrestling's going to evolve, so there are going to be some you know finishing moves that, that move into... Regular moves like uh, Harley Race used to use a regular suplex as a as a finisher, a suplex. Um, you know, and obviously the suplex is now used by just about everybody. So where do you draw the line? Um, you know, Paul Heyman has said you give a guy like Mark Henry a headlock, and you know, you basically tell everybody nobody else can use a headlock. Except for Mark Henry. And if you do, you have to answer to Mark and you have to answer to Vince. And for eight or ten months, anybody who gets caught in that headlock taps out immediately. They can't break it. And of course, being that it's Mark Henry, being that it's Mark Henry, it's kind of believable that, you know, that could possibly happen. That's how you have to build up these moves. That's how you have, you know, you can't have somebody say, oh, well, this is his finisher. You know, the perfect plex. How many people kicked out of the perfect plex? The answer, none. Mr. Perfect wouldn't go for the perfect plex until he knew that the guy couldn't kick out. And that was the whole idea behind it. That's the whole idea behind a finishing move. The person is at their end or very drained and they hit their finishing move and the guy doesn't kick out. Now, if you want to go to the weakest finishing move, one of the weakest finishing moves, Hulk Hogan's leg drop. How many people kicked out of that? Two? The Ultimate Warrior and The Rock? <laughs> I mean, you know, seriously. Um, 
But that was it. Because you built up that move, because they built up that move that nobody could get out of it. And now, you know, Seth Rollins with the curb stomp. How many curb stops does it take to beat the Fiend? Or to, have, to even keep the Fiend down? Five? And then the Hell in the Cell ends with a ref stoppage because so many people, uh, <laughs> because, because, uh, uh, Seth Rollins, you know, did so much to the Fiend in terms of, you know, sledgehammer and chair and then everything else. The end of the Hell in the Cell. And people were pissed. And some people are really upset with the ending of the Cody Jericho match because. Oh, well, why did they do that? That's another BS thing. There should have been a clean victory. Okay, here's the deal. In both instances, WWE and AEW backed themselves into a corner with these matches. Number one, okay? WWE built up the fiend where the mandible claw was putting everybody down. Okay? Best way to do it. Okay? Legends, superstars, everything. They put, even put Seth Rollins down with it. Why do you have him challenge for the title so early where now you run the risk of either A, you're giving a guy who just got a character change a title who may not be ready for the title. You know, the gimmick doesn't need a title. <coughs> but if you beat him, but if you beat him, you're killing the momentum of the character. So what do you do? Well... How do you protect both guys in that? In a hell in a cell, no less. You know, if it was a regular match, you could have a count out or a disqualification. You know, if it was a regular match, you could have had Seth Rollins get pissed off that he couldn't keep him down with, with, uh, you know, with the curb stomp. So you have him snap and, and uh, go, go ahead and, and use the chairs and get disqualified. You know, because he snapped. You can't figure out how to keep this guy down. But in a regular match, the DQ finish would have worked. Because then, you know, you set up the rematch and so on and so forth. With the Hell in a Cell, number one, the ref stoppage, it was. It was a BS call because, I mean, come on. We all remember King of the Ring 98. Things have evolved. We understand it's a different time. But, again, WWE backed themselves in the corner and didn't have a, you know, didn't have the next step, the next step in the evolution. You know, which happened to be a rematch at Crown Jewel in a false count anywhere. It can't be stopped for any reason. You know, and you had to, you had to give the title to, to the Fiend. You had to. No stands or buts. However, with this situation with Cody and Jericho, again, AEW backed themselves into a corner. Well, we've only been on TV. You know, this is our first year. Cody Rhodes is our most over babyface. Jericho just won the title at the last pay-per-view. So, you can't take the title off Jericho already, especially he's your top heel. You know, he's getting over the faction of the inner circle, and eventually he's going to lead to an inner circle versus the elite war games match or blow-off where it's you know going to be five-on-five five or four-on-four four or whatever the case is. So... Where you go. Cody, Cody Rhodes, the most over babyface. He's also one of the, the EVPs of the company. You know, we can't have him lose. You can't have him lose cleanly. And never be able to go for the AEW title ever again. 
You see what I mean? The stipulation backed him into a corner. Because again, you could have done a DQ finish. You could have done, you know, uh, going to the 60-minute time limit draw and going to the judges and have Cody Rhodes lose that way. That way you'd be able to set up the rematch. But this way he's not allowed to have a title match again. So what do you do? Well, I think that's why they had MJF throwing the towel, which was brilliant. And the only, the only way it would have worked. And the reason why I say that is now Cody Rhodes can say, or Cody can say, I never lost that match. I never submitted in that match. I never submitted. And now he can go against MJF and be like, you stole this from me. And then eventually he could put together a campaign or a petition and say, you know what? I never lost this match. And I want to have another shot at the AEW title. And they may say, okay, well, you have to be MJF first. You have to be MJF at the beginning of the night. And if you beat MJF, we'll give you another AEW title shot. And this goes beyond Jericho saying yes or no, unless they give Jericho the option, do you want to, you, do you want to you know, defend against Cody again? Maybe it's a ladder match. Maybe it's, you know... Sometimes the stipulations back you into corners. And, you know, and that's all there is to it. And that's, you know, sometimes you, they have to figure out a way out. It's going to upset some fans. But... It is what it is. And now, okay, going back to psychology. Some people on Twitter, of course, you know, Twitter is always a buzz, you know. Every, you know everybody's got an opinion on, on the Jericho-Moxley match. And everybody's like, oh, well, it went 40 minutes, it went too long. Or, it was awesome, you know, they need to do more of that. All right, here's the deal. Here, here's the way I look at it. Here's the way I look at the death match or the hardcore match or whatever you want to call it. And, I, and, and the death match goes far beyond uh, hardcore because they involve so many different elements like light tubes and mouse traps and, you know, the barbed wire table and this and that. You know, it's not a basic hardcore match or, you know, or anything goes, no holds barred. Okay. Which you could still do and WWE has done them successfully. But here's the thing, is you get to the point where, you know, you get to the point where every wrestler, ha- you know, I've, ne- I've done backyard wrestling, I've never been in the ring, I've never been properly trained, but every wrestler has a bump card, okay? Why do you think Chris Jericho has been around for almost 30 years in the business? Why do you think, you know, and even going back to Ric Flair, why do you think Ric Flair was in the business for 40 years or so? It's because, it, because of the psychology of the match, it's the psychology of the angle, and that's what's missing nowadays. People want to do high, high spots and high spots and get the, the crowd to say, this is awesome, this is awesome, great. But what happens to the fact where you only now have a career that lasts... Eight years. Because you can't walk. Because your knees are so shot. 
or your spine has to be fused for something. Look at Hulk Hogan. How many years did he do that leg drop? And his, you know, he started out at 6'8", and now he's down to 6'5", because his spine has been fused so many times it took away from his height. It's, you know, one of those things, you know, Jericho, he did high spots. You know, he did ladder matches. He did hardcore matches. He did stuff like that. But it was when the, it was called for, when it was necessary. And that's why this, this death match mentality will never work in mainstream wrestling. You know, AW, you know, the Young Bucks, and they, they wanted to hire their friends. They wanted to hire the Joey Janellas and the Jimmy Havocs and, and even John Moxley because that's who he was in, in combat zone wrestling before going over to WWE as Dean Ambrose. Okay, that's what he did. He did the death matches. Okay? And it's not going to get over in mainstream. That's why they won't put it on TNT. That's why they won't be able to put it on Dynamite because, you know, or they have to put it on AEW Dark or they have to only do it on pay-per-view because the mainstream audience isn't going to buy it. The sponsors won't buy it. You know, the, 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 the network won't buy it. I applaud them for all the crap they put their bodies through for entertainment purposes, but at some point you got to be like, well, is this necessary? You know, and, and unfortunately, this is the problem. Unfortunately, they're setting the, the bar, the standard, too high for people who don't want to do that kind of wrestling. Or, or, or for matches that don't need that kind of wrestling. It's, like, it's almost like the ECW mentality. Okay, ECW brought, you know, the mentality of the hardcore match, the, the, you know, the tables, the chairs, the everything else, you know, everything in the kitchen sink. That was ECW, but remember, how many times did they, did they portray Eddie Guerrero and Dean Malenko? Or Eddie Guerrero and Chris Benoit, or Chris Benoit and Dean Malenko, or, or the actual wrestlers, RVD, who mainly use chairs, but again, a lot of good wrestling. For every Sandman, Raven, not even, I don't want to say Raven, but, but Sandman, Tommy Dreamer, you know, Balls Mahoney, Axel Rotten, all these guys that all the, all the you know, Tommy Dreamer is a great talent. I'm not going to say that, but. I'm not going to say anything bad about him. But, you know, for all the guys that were never the stereotypical wrestler, okay? For all the guys that were the misfits, you know, the hardcore guys that always had to use chairs in their entrance because they weren't the greatest workers. There was an Eddie Guerrero. There was Taz. There was, you know, all these guys that were great wrestlers. That, you know, Shane Douglas, you know, that knew what they were doing in the ring and used proper, like, proper ring psychology. And that's what AEW has to understand. It, and the guys and, and the wrestlers themselves that are coming up have to understand that you need the psychology. You need it. Because, like I said, for every... Person, like for every Joey Janela and Jimmy Havoc who haven't had proper wrestling training, okay, and, and just 
specialized in the death matches. And I got to give Jimmy Havoc credit. You know, he's stated he wants to be spotlighted as and, and change the image of him to be a regular wrestler. A, you know, I get it, okay? But Joey Janela, again, lost to Sean Spears, which I didn't go over in the, in the full gear report. He lost to, to Sean Spears, you know? Uh, but Joey Janela touts that he never had wrestling training. He never went to a wrestling school. So all he knows is hardcore. He knows how to get hurt, basically. But that is going to shorten his career, you know, and he'll never make it up to that world title spot. Maybe in some indie, indie organization. Darby Allen is a great talent, okay? And he's the NEW uh, heavyweight champion. I don't understand how you call him heavyweight, but he's the NEW champion. Uh, Northeast Wrestling, right here, out, based out of uh, Waterbury, Connecticut, or Bethel, Connecticut. And, you know, he's their champion. He's got a bright future ahead of him. But that coffin drop, you know, when he did it on the apron against uh, Cody, that could have screwed up his spine. And it could have been permanent paralysis for him. So all I'm saying is these guys have to learn the psychology and figure out when it's necessary. All right, this has been a long episode. I, you know, normally I try to do them shorter for you, but this has been a long one because I had a lot to talk about. Uh, thank you for listening. You can find SportsWire wherever you find your favorite podcasts. You can also uh, go ahead and uh, follow me on Twitter at VAPSLSWE. You can also uh, follow SportsWire on Twitter and Instagram at SportsWire Audio. Email us, sportswireaudio at gmail.com for whatever questions you may need. And you can also go to www.sportswireaudio.com. It does bring us bring you to our to to our anchor.fm page where you can leave a voice message for me. You could go ahead and support the show. You've got the link for the No Shave November, which is no-shave.org slash member slash Vinny A81. So go ahead and help us out with that. And uh, just want to thank you all for listening. I'll be back tomorrow. Uh, maybe a raw recap. I know I'll watch the first two hours of Raw. Um, just a matter of if I could get watch the third or find out what happened. But thank you all for listening. I'll talk to you all later. Have a great night.